1: Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, depending on where you're at. And today we're going to be talking about drones. And you know, you think of drones, uh, you know, those little tiny little copters that you can get at the store or whatever. Or maybe you think of big, huge drones uh, that you see, like the Predator drones that are going out and doing stuff in the military. Um, you know, there's a couple different styles of them. But one of the things I know for sure is that we're starting to see drones. Um, i us say starting to. It's, I guess it's been around for a while. Or, but we're using drones now more in um, emergency response, emergency management, uh, doing some uh, uh, pre-flying of areas uh, for, for planning purposes and GIS purposes and things like that, and it's going to be a great conversation. And today, you know, we have uh, Charles Warner with us, um, And but before we bring Charles in, there's somebody who's here to join us today, not Brian Colburn, but Dan Scott.
2: Good Make it sound like it's all interesting and stuff.
1: It is interesting. It it's is just super me.
2: Nah. So just that guy again. That guy's back.
1: So Dan's, but you know, everybody. Dan's been working on his uh, on his, on his PhD and stuff. So he took a little bit of a hiatus from us to to do some deep work into some things. So uh, Dan, welcome back.
2: Good morning, and thank you very much. I'm glad to be back.
1: Yeah. Are you, so now, are you ready to get into some conversation about drones? Because I know, like you know. I love I love drones. I love the idea of them. I you know, uh I bought my son um a really cool drone. Um it's a little tiny one, right? It fits in the palm of your hand and it can fly around and do things and take really good photographs, right? Uh but this is not the type of drone we're talking about. So we're going to bring in Chief uh Warner here to talk about his type of drones and how they can really impact public safety. Chief, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, glad to be here. Good morning. <laughs>
1: So, you know, we were doing some conversation before the show started, and we're going to get into some of the deep dive, what type of drones there are. But before we get too deep into it, I want to talk about the, the uh, drone responder and and why your organization exists and, and, and why it's important.
0: Yeah, I think I got involved in 2015 and started seeing very early on there was a gap in information. Everybody was starting from scratch, which meant uh, they were really playing it by ear, and they were learning as they go, and they would change the SOPs. Uh, and we know in 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 public safety emergency management fire service that we learn more quickly if we have advanced information uh, so we learn from other departments that are ahead of us, and we follow those trends so uh, the first thing that drone responders did was to create a resource center to bring in sops from different departments that already led the way uh, best practices lessons learned we always like to have the best practices so that we can do the best from the beginning and we like the lessons learned so we don't make the same mistakes others have learned from and we and we know that uh, The more information,
1: Chief, you 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 muted
0: yourself. Sorry, and we're also seeing that uh, that's when you move your hands too much, Uh, you get kind of carried away. Um, We we also know that the more information we make available sooner, that agencies move more quickly toward drones, and and that was true as I as I chaired the first International Fire Chiefs Technology Council. It was all about how do we get the information out there to. Help departments advance more quickly with uses of technology and other things. So that was really the the basic for it. And then to create a network uh, to where we could all work together and, uh, and learn from each other more quickly.
1: So, I mean, I I know you were on the forefront of using drones and public safety, specifically the fire service with some things and, and, I remember back in the I don't know the early two thousands two thousand five through eight area there when we're starting to see drones as an opportunity through grants for law enforcement and for fire for but mostly used like in the search and rescue realm of things, and I remember talking to people you know the the you know, I feel I, I'm crusty now so I could I could say this you know the crusty old guy going ah you know this is just a Uh, This is just a a fad. No one's going to be able to use them. It's just going to go away. It's going to be like, you know, whatever else that they've seen in the past to come and go as far as technology goes. But they are wrong. We're seeing drones become uh, a a part of what we do as first responders and emergency managers. Um, What does this look like now? What's the future of drone? Is everybody, is every department going to have a drone? Is it going to be drone programs across the nation? What's it going to look like?
0: Yeah. So to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what it looks like right now, we estimate there are a little over 4,000 public safety agencies in the United States alone that already have drone programs. And what we're seeing from the FAA is that they're seeing an average of 10 or more agencies per week applying for what we call certificate of authorization or a COA, which allows for public aircraft operations of drones. So by, it, by the estimates we see in, in the next couple of years, we're going to see over 10,000 agencies with drone programs and it's continuing to increase as people learn and see the advantages of what takes place. And what really shifted the change, uh, there's two things that, that affected the shift in acceptance and use of drones. One was uh, the hurricanes and the use of drones during hurricanes really helped to change and improve the perception by the public because they saw tens of thousands of flights combined with manned aircraft to where it was providing this huge amount of good. The second piece was in 2016 when the FAA changed the regulations and, and allowed for a certificate of authorization for public aircraft operations and the Part 107 which now gave an easier path forward because before that you had to have a flight ground school training. You had to pass a class one medical basically for the requirements for any aviator. Um, So that all changed. And so now the future is looking bright and uh, we're linked with countries all around the world and we're all learning from each other much more quickly. And then we can go in later to talk about the applications that are starting to spin off of this.
2: Let me ask the question because um, I mean I've I've been around I've been hearing this since the since they started the first started using drones in this in in this type of uh, profession, um, but I know there's been a lot of hesitation. So do you believe that uh, that the having to get licensed and get and get all the go through all these um, certifications has uh, either helped or hindered the uh, an organization from jumping in and 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 joining this this type of use of this technology? Or because um, at first you, you had those who were like all in and then you had those who were like, I'm never, we're never going to do that. Now it's, you're, you're seeing a more acceptance of it, but do you feel like the the
0: licensing and the, and the certifications has aided in that. Yeah. So I would say that the licensing and regulatory status that was before 2016 was very prohibitive. It was, it was too hard. And that's, that was the reason why a lot of people said not going there, never going there, not, not going to happen. Then when those things changed, Yes. I think that the, the certificate of authorization and the part 107, which drone responders recommends both that you have part 107 and a certificate of authorization. If you're a public safety agency of a, of a government. And the reason for that is because part 107 says you've passed a knowledge test of how to fly in the national airspace safely. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the COA gives you certain allowances to fly under circumstances during emergency incidents and other situations where others can't. But yes, I think that there's an important part of this. There's two pieces. There's the, there's the public, and there's the manned aircraft community. So the fact that we have people being certified in those areas and understanding the, the the national airspace, the jargon that goes with it, helps make it be more accepted by the manned aircraft community as well. And I guess we're changing all this stuff to be gender neutral. So I, you know, traditional aircraft. When you say that, person operated. So yes.
1: I, I Eileen points in, jumps in. She says, "I saw the usefulness years ago, even taking the unmanned." systems in disaster management course woo, through the ndptc and started uh, working toward working with them um are we seeing more people like eileen um that are taking these courses and really getting a better understanding of how to utilize them um in emergency management or is this is this still kind of a um a niche uh group of people
0: you know i would say that in 2016 2017 it was a niche group uh now it's going to be this is starting to take place where it's being spread to where i believe in 5 years 90% of agencies in the united states that are public safety oriented will either have a drone program or have some way of getting drone service during significant events and disasters and and yes people are starting to see this in classes and the courses and the conferences are helping make all this stuff be more uh ubiquitous
1: now, i kind of i kind of have an off the wall question here just popped into my head so um now we have in i I live in southern california we have a pretty robust helicopter program for various different reasons one is for law enforcement um and fire but they also they both do dual firefighting capabilities as well um but they're expensive as heck to run right you know you're talking at a minimum five hundred dollars an hour maybe more i've gone up uh, you know if i'm I'm wrong correct me please uh but around that to run a, a a fueled helicopter flying around, especially when they're doing like, you know, search and rescue and, or, um, uh, looking for, for bad guys. Um, uh, could drones replace or maybe not replace, but augment, um, those helicopter programs with a more efficient, um, um, vehicle.
0: So the answer is yes. Augments the right word. Replace. No. Uh, what we're seeing is each of these have their own specific roles. So if you're covering larger areas, uh, your helicopter is going to be a necessity uh, right now. If you're going to do any kind of aerial firefighting operations for wildfires, you're going to have to use a helicopter. Drones can't do that right now. Um, but there are situations and I'll give you an example. Um, we had one of the protests in Virginia that happened early on. Um, we had the Virginia state police helicopter was flying overhead, doing an overwatch of the protest to just, just maintaining order making sure we could prevent traffic pedestrian confliction And uh, they got a report of three men with a long gun, with long guns. And uh, because of the tree canopy, the helicopter couldn't get any real visibility below. So they switched over to the drone, in which, by the way, when we started off, the uh, video footage was all from the helicopter. And so they sicked the drones on it to see what they could find. They found the men with with the long guns in three minutes. Uh, high resolution, flying at 300 feet with a zoom camera, being able to, the zoom camera at 300 feet, they could zoom in and still see the letters on the tennis shoe. Just to give you some idea of the, the capabilities that are out there, took care of that situation, and then they the protest turned into a protest march that was pl- unplanned. So the drone would fall two blocks in advance of the protest and alert the uh, command, which would move motorcycles, police officers to stop traffic at each one of those intersections. So the entire protest march was totally deconflicted of pedestrian traffic interactions. So, yeah, there are – this is where you start seeing the advantage of drones. Uh, uh, traffic crash reconstruction, there's other things that it wouldn't be done by helicopters, uh, all, all types of events. So the smaller, more narrowed, focused events, the drones are going to be more beneficial than the helicopter. But on longer, larger areas and larger operations, helicopters are necessary.
1: Right. And I want to tell all my pilot friends out there, I wasn't trying to get rid of your job. I was just asking the question because I can see how drones can help out.
0: But you <laughs> did ask the question, does it augment? So you right. put it in the right direction.
1: <laughs> Thank you, chief. So... I, I do have a, a, another question, and we're gonna after we, we answer this question, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. I, I want to get deeper into some of the futuristic stuff. But now, like I was telling you, I got a drone for my son. It really fits in the palm of your hand. It's about 149 grams, and a, that's um, the weight, from what I understand, is the lowest that you can own without having to take a course. Um, now, obviously, the drones we're talking about, even though that one has some pretty cool pictures, we're not talking about that tiny little drone. Right. We're, we're, what kind of drones are we what sizes are we looking at for an average, say, uh, local law enforcement or fire department that wants to do a drone program? How big are they?
0: Yeah, I think you're talking about anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds. And 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 that includes the payload. And all the small unmanned aircraft systems that we're talking about will be under 55 pounds, including the payload in this discussion.
1: So the size of them, are they like the size of a table, size of a laptop? Like what? How big are they?
0: Uh, some of them are probably about the size of a laptop, you know, more three-dimensional. Um, some are, uh, as big as like half the size of a table or something, they get bigger. And of course as they get bigger, they get more expensive. Uh, but in most cases what you're seeing is a relatively small aircraft that's, that's, uh, usually unnoticeable in the sky cause they're flying at a height that you don't even hear it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'll tell one quick story that, think is kind of interesting actually because uh i live on the wui right and behind my house we have the power lines um from southern california edison and rightfully so they have to go and inspect them and they're bringing in a helicopter they're bringing a helicopter in low really low um at like seven o'clock in the morning which was really like not really cool right you know so on a saturday morning um blowing stuff all over the place literally blowing my um um my umbrella's over, right? That's how low that they, they were. Um, anyway, long story short, enough people complained about the helicopters coming in, even though what they're doing, I understand why they're doing it. It was, they need to do it, but they should have done it a little smarter. Next thing I know, I hear a couple weeks later, I hear this like little buzzing and it's, they have drone operators out there doing the same job that they're using the helicopter for same, same spots, right? Flying right over, you know, the power lines, um, and making uh, less noise and and uh, less commotion and, uh, and I wave to the drone Hi, drone right, and uh, they do their thing. is that a better use of drones than helicopters in that case
0: well yes and, and so here 's the original here 's the original problem is that drones are limited for the most part for flight within visual on of sight, so you can only fly as long as you can see it, hmm. which means that becomes problematic of trying to do long uh, utility line inspections oh, gotcha. so the helicopter becomes necessary for those long continuous flights what we're seeing now is some changes in the faa to allow beyond visual on of site in these rural areas uh where they can fly longer and, uh, and be able to to do what helicopters did previously so yeah we're starting to see that happening as the regulations open up we'll see even more
1: that's awesome all right well let's take a quick break when we come back dan has a question regarding mitigation and prevention The Outer Limits Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family, to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com.
2: We all know emergency management is dynamic. What you need to know and do can cover all kinds of fields and change on a dime. When choosing a partner, you want someone just as dynamic to help you keep up. The Mid-Atlantic Center for Emergency Management and Public Safety is just that. A FEMA partner and one-stop shop for college academics, custom training and consulting. They cover it all and bring you the best of each. So whether you're looking to start your degree, go back to school, train your people or anything in between, they're here for you. See what you can build together at frederick.edu backslash m-a-c-e-m. PS. That's M A C E M PS.
1: Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit PowerUpConnect.com. That is PowerUpConnect.com. And welcome back for the quick break. And I know we promised Dan was going to go first, but uh, a a question from the audience came in here, and it was uh, from Michael, and he's asked, for aircraft, ICS uses an air ops chief, how does drones, I guess, how do drones fit into this operation? Chief, you're, you're
0: muted. The number one thing said on virtual these days, you're muted. Um, yeah, so you, it, it's the same with ICS. The, the air operations has to integrate. Your drone has to integrate into IC operations. So the, the planning, the approval, the operations, the direction, all that stuff needs to be coordinated through ICS. And if you go to, uh, like, for CAL FIRE operations, it's the same. But what they've done is, is just to give you a more complicated viewpoint, which is not the same anywhere else, is they've created certain elevation of flights aircraft. So drones are one level, helicopters at a level, air tankers at different levels, so on, and they coordinate that operation. So that's absolute necessity. And what we're also seeing that on that, along those lines is that now there are more drones in the sky for different reasons. So now not only may we have one agency for public safety, we may have two. So we might have a local, we might have a state. Then we also might have the news media that are flying in the area. And then we have the manned aircraft, or sorry, traditional aircraft that we have flying in different areas. So Managing the airspace has now become more important for every department that's going to fly a drone, because now you're you're integrating with a lot of different things, and and it's very true. That one example I'll give you is the Surfside collapse. They're operating four or five drone teams at the same time, with helicopters flying in the air and and trying to coordinate that. So again, it's all coordinated through the ICS ICS operations. While some may not be doing it, they need to.
1: Absolutely. All right, Dan. Go for it.
0: Yeah, Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, so, um, well, <laughs> um,
2: you know, my question re- is, uh, it, it revolves around mitigation prevention. We know that, of course, fire, you know, PD, EMS are all response oriented. But we, what we found is, e- uh, you know, the EM industry, the emergency management industry is also uh, heavily response uh, oriented. And I'm, I have a very uh, strong um I'm being very vocal about the the fact that we need to increase um, acts of mitigation and prevention and preparedness. So how can we use, I mean, and drones are in response are amazing. They, I mean, they help identify victims. They help see how, how, how big or, and how wide um, uh, the response is needed. uh, How bad the organization, how bad a jurisdiction has been hit, but how can we utilize the drone technology to better mitigate and prevent and prepare uh, before these these
0: incidents and, and large-scale events take place? So what we're seeing now is drones are being used, especially if they know of advanced events going to occur, for example, a uh, hurricane. They're taking pre-flight uh, measurements to see what areas look like so they have a comparable, a recent comparable photograph after the storm comes to understand what that change was in the storm. In the wildfires in California, they're using the drones to do uh, pre-fire flights to determine the fuel fire load, to determine you know, what it looks like between the uh, the urban-wildland interface. Is there things that can be done to take some of that fuel load away in advance of the fire season? Um, and now I want to switch over to one you didn't mention, and that's recovery, is that we're also seeing the use of drones in recovery to to identify when roadways are cleared, Um, when debris is removed. So they are able to keep giving you updates on status of situations that you now, that you've known about, but are now starting to return to normal. Uh, But yeah, we're seeing a lot of this uh, where people are doing, we saw during the COVID uh, situations that uh, they were setting up, you know, places to go get COVID vaccines. And that meant you had to determine a route and the traffic, and they were using drones to overwatch to see if, and to test the, the, the idea that they put in place to see how it works. And then, um, you know, another situation that's it's still kind of a response, but it's important because it impacts what we do. Traffic crash reconstruction has changed how they're doing some of the investigations on fatalities and those kind of things, which they can do in a third of the time that can be done on the ground with an accuracy of one centimeter. Mm-hmm. So as you all know, when we do that more quickly, it means we open the roadways, we have less secondary accidents, and we have commerce rolling more effectively, as well as our response routes opening up. So. There are so many things that are being done in the planning stages. We're starting to see now of use of uh, inspection of critical infrastructure uh, to see if there's anything that's showing up that we should be con- concerned about. Um, the Oval Dam, when we saw that issue, that they were able to continually watch the spillway to see if it was deteriorating or not, to where they quickly learned that it was okay, didn't have to evacuate people. So uh, getting that situational awareness very quickly to make better decisions is is, is good before, during, and after events.
2: With this, So with this type of technology being so useful in all these, especially in, as far as the, the phases of the mission areas or response or reconstruction or, you know, just limiting the amount of manpower or person power that could be used, um, are there funding opportunities that, that uh, jurisdictions can take advantage of
0: that would aid them in building and, and, and maintaining a drone program? Well, there is, there is some funding available through DHS through the FEMA State pass-through funds that can be used to purchase drones. Um, there's not too many funds that I'm aware of to help you maintain or sustain a program. Uh, I think that's one of the things that we're looking at for this critical infrastructure bill that's going through now to see if we can get some funding that will help uh, to fund new programs, to help uh, sustain some existing programs, get some new technologies, because we're starting to see, you know, payloads from your, your visual optics to your thermal imaging to your LIDAR, all these different things that now increase the capabilities. So we're hoping that some of this funding that's coming out of the critical infrastructure bill uh, will be able to be focused on dirt to that. And then what we're seeing from the law enforcement side, a lot of the uh, seizure forfeiture money is being used to help purchase drones as well.
1: Right. Um, Adam chimes in and says a great tool for damage assessment early on for locals to determine request, request needs for state and federal assistance and i i want to follow up on on that, on that point so as a as a local city small city right you know um you don't have your own most, i shouldn't say i can't I can't spread as as a as a broad brush don't have their own helicopter programs so, so they're relying upon either a, a larger city, so like say, for instance, if you live in Los Angeles you have to ask like los angeles county or or l a p d for instance to come. Um, with a helicopter in, in Orange County, this is where I live, so this is all I know. Uh, in Orange County, you have a couple different helicopters. Uh, you get, you have Orange County Fire, and you have um, um, Orange County Sheriff's Department, and I know Anna, uh, Anaheim still has a bird, I think. Um, so they have those helicopters. But could a small city then have the ability to purchase the drones, run a drone program, and not have to worry about calling for that resource until they need to have that resource? Because getting that visual of your city is really important and, and having something like that to work is, is, can the drones work in that manner?
0: Yes. And again, it, it gets into just the this, this, this size of area that's affected. So the larger the area you have affected, the more you'll need helicopters to get that bigger view sooner. But yes, the drones can can actually go through and capture specific information. For example, not only can it, um, it look at the scene, but it can look at a pile. For example, we're, we're working with Esri, uh, with a program that's site scan that's on the drone that can also go through and take the measurements and estimate the amount of damage, I mean, the debris that needs to be removed, which tells you what resources are needed and so on. And so what we're seeing is, yes, it's definitely a great tool for damage assessment because it gives us that quick situation awareness. But for a major disaster, it also allows us to capture information to help get that presidential declaration mm-hmm. of a disaster.
1: Exactly. That's... It's kind of where I was going. That's why I was asked that question. Jane asks, "What kind of drones are these?" And that's a really great segue. Jane, thanks for uh, for teeing that up for me. Um, you know, put the the. We we're talking about it earlier. All sorts of kind of drones, the ideas, what we have coming up um, as far as drones go. Um, I saw mm-hmm. a a video. Uh, I think it was a. I think it was a animated video, of a drone. Um, Uh, that could be used as an ambulance, right? An air ambulance, if you will. Um, And then we've talked about the fact there's a drone that they have for high-rise firefighting, uh, things like this. What kind of drones are we talking about? How big are these, you know, can they get? And, um, you know, what's the future look like?
0: So most of the drones that we're talking about now that are being used are under 55 pounds. That's the small unmanned aircraft system classification. So everything we've been talking about to date uh, in this program has been talking about small unmanned aircraft systems. What we're seeing is the development in a lot of ways in a lot of places of creating what we call an urban air mobility, which means we're starting to look at bigger aircraft. So we're looking at aircraft that might be able to carry a significant amount of water for wildfire operations. So we're, we're talking probably upwards into, you know, carrying a ton of stuff. Um, that same vehicle could carry people that are injured from uh, in a wildfire situation out to a place of safety. Uh, it can be used as an air ambulance. Um, it can be used as an air taxi. Uh, in some places, it might be used in reconnaissance to fly and monitor with a, with one of the command officers in the aircraft watching a scene. Or it might even be used for high, high-rise high fires to, to fly up and, and, and hit a fire that can't be attacked from lowers. I know that uh, over in Saudi Arabia and some of those places, they're actually looking at some of that technology now to see because they're putting these tremendously, like, 120-story buildings up, uh, which really kind of complicate the firefighting world uh, if you have a significant fire on those, those floors. So we have only begun to see what's going to come next, uh, but it's, it's all coming. And uh, we're going to start seeing vertiports where they identify places where these air mobility vehicles can go. And now we're even seeing some vehicles that are car drones yeah. that convert from a car into a drone and take off and then land and the wings come in and they retract. So it's, it's a little bit bigger than your typical vehicle, but it flies.
1: I want one of those. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I saw that and said, where do you get these? Yeah. I want one now. Take
1: my money. Take my money. Um, yeah. it does, I, I'm going to go a little bit off on the, on the rescue drones here for a minute, but I was uh, reading a, uh, a book um, regarding future of things. Right. And, and they're talking about, uber specifically uh was testing out some uh, drone uh flight drones um to to be able to do almost like air taxis if you will and you, you know and they put their future hat on saying hey maybe at some point you know we're not going to have parking lots around and we'll have like drone drop-off uh, spots and stuff like this and you, you know and of course i go ah will it ever happen probably not in my lifetime but maybe it will who knows right you know it would be kind of neat
0: well, I think it it really depends on the, the technology and the detect and avoid capabilities. When the detect and avoid capabilities are in place such that they can recognize each other, what you'll see first, I think, and this will be kind of your guiding principle, what's next, is you'll see Uber go to uh, vehicles that are remotely operated or operated independently, you know, autonomously to do taxi services on the ground. That'll be the first thing. And then the next, because then you won't need a driver. It'll just yeah. be, they'll, we'll have parking lots of Uber vehicles and they'll dispatch to the locations and you'll get in your car and you'll go wherever you want to go. And it won't be an Uber. The next thing will be, there's air taxis. And they've done some testing in some places where they can show um, that something that takes 45 minutes is transport in a large cities that you can take a drone from one location to the airport in like 15 minutes. So is it going to be popular? You bet it's going to be popular. And once it's once all the safety issues are addressed, then we're going to see. The skies are going to be much more populated than they ever have been before.
1: It's like the Jetsons.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and For those of you that uh, don't know who the Jetsons are, you have a very sad childhood and should look it up on YouTube. Just
0: yeah, Google it up and you can watch the cartoon and catch up with us.
1: <laughs> uh, Michael comes in with another question or statement, I guess. I don't know, it's a question. He goes, uh, with the return of our military forces from overseas, do drone responders see more availability of large drones to the National Guard? That's a great question. Are, are, do, do we see... Could we use the Predator drones, I hate saying it that way, that's the only way I know the name of them, for other things other than throwing bombs on people?
0: Yeah, so uh, that's already being done. Uh, The National Guard uh, larger drones are being used for reconnaissance for specific things like the wildfires out in California to take some higher-level imagery of larger areas affected by hurricanes. So that's already being done. I, I don't see us really expanding that much more than what's already been done because where it can be done and where it's needed, it is being done.
1: You know, that being said, I know LAPD got one of the larger drones, and it really caused a lot of concern um, amongst the populace, right? And, you know, specifically with the idea of uh, privacy. Um, how do you see drones working with, can, I don't say with, but how do you see drones working and then not having people, the populace being concerned that, you know, we are going to drop bombs on them or spy on them or do things like that?
0: Yeah, so let me just let me kick it back to Drone Responders Resource Center just so people know. There's a resource guide that tells you if you're going to do a drone program, some steps to go through. The first thing is to make sure that you're transparent, that you're having conversations with the ACLU and other privacy agencies to address their concerns. But then most importantly is to be talking with your community and sharing with them what you're going to do, what the aircraft looks like, what it's going to do and how it's going to fly and what it's not going to do. So um, that's the key. And uh, drumresponders.org is the website. Anybody can join for free. And uh, anything you're looking for is probably there.
1: Absolutely. Hey, Chief, we're on our hot stop. It was great having you on the program again. We should do this again sometime. Dan, it's great seeing you back again. And uh, so until next time, everybody, follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Oh, wait, wait. Before I go to this, Dan, do you have anything to say to the group, to the family, to everybody out there?
2: Just you know, just keep you know keep looking into this technology. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Chief Warner, for for joining us today. Um, and you know, just as Todd's getting ready to, to say, you know, join us on on our social media, like us, uh, comment, share, uh, keep us uh, keep us in um, in in circulation.
1: Absolutely, and don't forget, we also have Crisis Cafe, Crisis cafecom If you want to go in there, and join the local little smaller group of community to talk about things. And that being said, everybody. Like us, follow us, give us a five star rating. You know, uh, with the, on, on Apple would really help out, and uh, share this with your friends, colleagues, and family during emergency management. And until next time, stay safe, and stay hydrated.